0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup Groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Oslo, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore, Tel Aviv and Tokyo. Today we're interviewing a very special guest, Vilas Da. Welcome. Vilas is president of the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation, which is a 21st century global philanthropy supporting the advancement of data and AI to create a thriving, equitable and sustainable future for all. He is here to tell us about the recent historic merger of the Cloudera Foundation with the McGovern Foundation and their new data and society initiative.
1: Mia, thanks so much for that introduction. I'm delighted to be with you and with this incredible global community of changemakers working on AI that you've gathered. Super happy to be here.
0: Vilas, thank you. And to get us started, would you like to tell us about the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation and how the foundation became interested in artificial intelligence?
1: Of course. So the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation, we call ourselves a 21st century philanthropy. At the core of our work, of course, is an endowment, money that's held in the public trust that lets us go and look for social impact. But we also start from a place of understanding the power of technology, not simply as a product or an outcome or a device, but as a new tool that empowers us to seek what makes us most human and to express our most visionary capacity for the world. As a foundation, we focus on the power of data science and AI in particular to protect the most vulnerable, to inspire great economic opportunity. And most importantly, to think about the society we want to design, one that's empowered by these tools that creates equity and access for all.
0: Wow, I love your team's vision. Vilas, please tell us about what motivated the merger with the Cloudera Foundation and how the merger came about. That would be great.
1: As we focused on how AI and data is being used in the world, we've seen a very quick divergence. Private companies are using these tools to build new products, to access new audiences, to create entirely new ways that people interact with their products and services. But the civil sector has been left behind. Nonprofits, who often are facing some of the greatest challenges we see in the world, don't have these tools ready at hand. As a philanthropy, we stepped into that breach and began to say, how do we deploy philanthropic capital in a way that lets these organizations access technical capacity? But even that frame felt too complex. If organizations need these skills in-house to do this work, How can we as an organization support that activity? And we came to the realization there was space for a new kind of organization, one that provided both grants, capital, but also technical expertise to support organizations where they were. As we began to explore that thesis, I had a very fortunate meeting with Claudia Juch, the CEO of the Cloudera Foundation, an incredible corporate foundation that had set out to deploy data science tools for good. And as we got to know each other and began to find not just where our technical aspirations aligned, but our values and principles matched up, we realized there was a potential to join forces, to merge our organizations and look for a new mechanism of social impact. That work led us eventually to merge the Cloudera Foundation with the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation, leading to the launch of the Data and Society Programme. This program brings together data scientists and technologists with social change makers to build a multi-part program that allows us to work directly with our nonprofit partners to affect change.
0: This must be such a welcome addition to the tech solution space. There's a growing awareness around the need to bring more voices to the table of tech innovation. Are you optimistic about the future and how has your outlook evolved?
1: You know, I started my career as a technologist 20 odd years ago And we fashioned ourselves artificial intelligence scientists. Looking back on that now, I smile when I think of that because the field has changed and transformed in such material ways. But even then, we were working on figuring out how to use machine learning, genetic algorithms, neural networks to do something really concrete. In our case, it was taking the primary source materials that often were held in museum basements or in library archives and give them new life to help kids understand what their stories were through these artifacts. And we were building ways to use the emerging worldwide web and these new algorithms to create new educational experiences. That work showed me just how important it was in the process of building technology products to think about agency and intent, to use these tools, to let children decide what they were interested in, to find the kinds of topics and subjects they wanted to explore and make sure the technology was capable, not just of responding to that, but being additive to it. That really is what I mean when I talk about tech optimism. It's not so much an optimism to say that tech will solve all problems, but rather that with the right intention and design, technology can be a tool that empowers our creativity, our interest in exploration, our willingness to design new ways of connecting to each other, of building art, of drama, of theater, of all of the intangibles that we care about so much. But I also have to have a more clear-eyed view to it. Technology isn't simply about enabling us as individuals. It's also about addressing some really big macro challenges. Things like climate change. How do we use these tools to go out and address the fact that carbon sequestration is an issue that we all have to work on together? And how do these tools create new approaches to those challenges? We're seeing these pretty incredible stories emerging. I think about rural farmers in South Asia who are using AI on their phones to get direct access to weather patterns so they can understand when they should plant. To climate recommendations that show them how harvesting the rice in their patties slightly earlier can have a really meaningful effect on the amount of methane that's produced in those fields. And how AI is reshaping their economic participation. When an app on their phone is able to tell them, you know, if you can hold your harvest for some number of weeks, you'll access a better price in the markets so that you'll have more disposable income for your families. Each of these use cases I've described to you aren't something that looks to a faraway future, but are already deployed. And when I think about techno-optimism, I ask the question, how do we make sure that we're creating systems that use and enable technology, but put human equity and access at the center?
0: Right. So Vilas, I'm curious, what's it like merging East and West Coast foundations? What unites your teams and where do you see your strengths?
1: You know what unites that West Coast culture of immediate action and of innovation and the East Coast culture of thinking about big systemic change is a common sense of shared purpose. And as we brought these two foundations together, what we realized is even though in many ways we live the values of the environments we're in, we are united in the understanding that we create purpose and action by empowering people who are at the frontiers of social change. And we bring somewhat diverse skill sets to that. With our new technologists on the team, we're able to dive directly into an organization's data assets to understand their data maturity, as we call it, their ability to take those assets and create insights. And we're able to bring structural and systemic viewpoints that say, as data drives towards insight, how do we shape that into what the organization should be doing to make sure that we're prioritizing the right kinds of activities that are empowered by those tools?
0: Great. Thanks, Vilas. So technology and artificial intelligence are synonymous with transformation and disruption. Where is transformation needed and what's your take on disruption from your foundation's vantage point? What principles are guiding your work?
1: I think the transformation that's necessary is bringing technological innovation closer together with social outcomes. We have a world in which we lionize incredible thinkers and creative geniuses because they build products. And in many ways, those products certainly do make our lives better. I can't think of what my life would look like without having my entire music library at close touch, without the ability to connect to friends and relatives across the globe and so many other things. But the transformation that we're talking about happens when we take the capacity to build those kinds of devices... And we put the capacity squarely in the hands of the people who are trying to solve our global challenges. And that hasn't happened yet. I think we're often seeing that those communities are quite far apart. Sometimes because of a fear of technology, more often because of an unfamiliarity with where the cutting edge and the emergent frontier is. We're seeing what happens when you're able to take technologists who are driven by social purpose and put them with social actors driven by curiosity and technology. Because that's where the magic happens. So I think often about how do we make sure that the hands that are shaping our technology are the same hands that are trying to solve our problems? That happens in a few different ways. As a philanthropy, we can often support it when that curiosity comes together by providing grant funding. I think that's quite a traditional approach. But there are new opportunities to say, let's actually create spaces where we can say, let's define a problem like helping governments understand how to use data to define early health interventions that requires a multitude of actors who bring their own identities and their own skill sets it requires doctors at the front line who are understanding what the problems are that they're facing on a regular basis who are able to collect data and share it with technologists who can review that data and build products on top of them that deliver insights and then policy officials and governments that can step into that and say in true partnership we are able to learn from what you've done and define policy, which we can then deploy, which then protects the most vulnerable. But that system, that virtuous cycle requires careful tending. And it requires also that we put at the core of the work, something that we call IDEA, four key principles around inclusion, around diversity, around equity and around accessibility. Now, each of these are quite powerful words, right? And we can have a conversation about each of them individually. But let me just say that if you take those four ideas and bring them into the technical pursuit of developing product and the social pursuit of developing a solution, then you get something that's much more than the sum of its parts.
0: That's so insightful. A lot of work advancing artificial intelligence is being carried out by open source initiatives run by volunteers. How do you see yourselves collaborating with open source initiatives?
1: Open source is such a short little word that describes such a massive idea, right? The idea that technologies can be developed not just with a corporate direction or with a strategy deck and a PowerPoint slide, but rather by bringing together a community of common purpose and saying, let us all contribute to the idea of what this might become. There's no better metaphor, I think, for how technology might intertwine with social purpose than to say, how do we distribute ownership? the ability to architect the solution, the ability to iteratively deploy it in the field and to continue to make it better. Open source should be at the core, not just of our technology, but in many ways, our policy making and our societal rules. So it's certainly attractive to know that the tools we use are open source, but the responsibility that comes with that is to continue to invest in making sure that we are contributing to the open source community. And the way that we think about that is by bringing both problem definitions and data assets to the community at large, and asking for collective solutions that bring the very best of innovation, but also of iterative development to the tool. Particularly as we go to nonprofits, one of the lessons that we've seen is, while each nonprofit is quite unique in the data assets they own and where they might be on their data maturity journey, the problems they face are also similar because so often they're dealing with populations that are deeply vulnerable, that often don't have sovereignty over their data, that raise policy questions about where and how we should use their data for meaningful purpose. And in each of those questions, they cannot be answered by a small group of technologists trying to build a product, but should be open sourced. And so we're really excited to think about how we bring together Slack communities of practitioners, how we bring together AI experts and data stewards, legal experts and policymakers to define an ongoing body of knowledge that can be continually curated by the group to figure out how to address this stuff. I've taken your question about open source and technology and made it much broader, but yeah. it is an underlying ethos as well to the way we think about the work.
0: That's great. Thanks so much, Vilas. We've covered so much. Before we close, we like to ask our guests to share something they'd love to see a futuristic application do. So what would you like to see?
1: I can give you my first response, which is to say, one day I'd really love to play music with the Beatles. And I'd love to see how AI could help me make that a possibility. But outside of the fun of it, I really think a lot about how there is a fundamental dignity in being human that is sometimes attacked or diluted or sometimes abraded by the societies and the structures in which people have to operate. I think particularly of refugees, people who have had to leave their places and their comfort and their dignity, and often are in places where they are looking for help and succor and relief from all of us. AI can be so meaningful in helping those individuals in moments of vulnerability, not to seek economic support or seek identity through government documentation, but really to find dignity and purpose because AI can help them break down some of the vulnerabilities that have been imposed on them. If I think of one thing that AI is capable of doing, it can be empowering people to live their own unique lives in the most meaningful ways. And that, to me, seems like a guiding proposition for the kind of technologies we should aspire to create.
0: Wow, that's great, Vilas. Lots of food for thought, and you've given us so much here to think about today. Thank you. To close, I'd love to give you the floor for any final takeaways about the future of AI for good.
1: If there's one last thought that I want to leave this community with, it's that AI for good requires a fundamental reframing of what we aspire to. A recognition that when we're creating new products, we need to build the tools we need for the world that we want, a more just world, a more equitable world, a kinder world. Putting these outcomes at the heart of the design process grounds us in a shared human aspiration. And it creates an opportunity to build a brighter, tech-enabled, but human-centered future for all of us.
0: Vilas, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and learning about the vision and work of the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation. This brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close. To learn more about the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation, visit McGovern.org and follow the foundation and Vilas Star on Twitter. I'm Jen Bees, Humanitarian AI Today's audio engineer and musician. Thanks for tuning in to another interview. Please remember to follow the podcast series and for more content, check out Humanitarian AI Today's interview notes on Medium.com.